0: Hello and welcome into Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa, coming off another dominating win. Maybe one that's got us riding a little high. I don't know about you, Dustin. I'm feeling really good going into this podcast and pumped to be talking with you. How are you, man?
1: Doing well. Yeah, I, that was a beat down. 24-3 over West Virginia in Morgantown. The defense didn't let the Mountaineers
0: do anything and it was fun to watch yeah couldn't really again and and now it's the theme of last week's podcast in the Kansas free space was you couldn't really ask for more well this week I really uh endorsed that message from last week we're just going to carry it right on into this episode that you could not ask for more and we're going to talk a ton about what happened in Morgantown about what went right obviously you're going to get a great breakdown from Dustin but More importantly, we're going to talk what this means going forward. I mean, I honestly, Dustin, I I want to get right into it. I think this team is peaking, and I I wonder if they've peaked yet because what's my brain is telling me they're a really good football team and they're playing better every week. My gut is telling me I've seen this movie before, but in a different genre, so to speak, with the offense not necessarily being what leads this team, but the defense being – what is really carrying the water for this team right now. And so Dustin, I I, what's your gut after another dominating win that really was in hand middle of the third quarter against a pretty darn good team on the road that was playing well. Yeah,
1: I was talking, uh, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, but just telling them, even when it was 10 to three, it felt like Oklahoma state had the game in hand. I was never really worried. I don't know how you felt, but it just, I'm, I'm like nodding yeah. <laughs> it just felt like they were going to win that game. Yeah. It just felt like they were going to win that game the entire time. And, and we can start on the offensive side. Again, 24 points. They probably left some out there. Gunny mentioned it in his presser. There was a – I believe there was a holding and offsides on the same drive. Um, they probably could have scored a few more times, at least, at least once more. Kind of shot themselves in the foot. But, you know, Sanders got his best PFF grade this week. And oh, wow. I thought he looked great again. The, the game plan for West Virginia's defense, just seemed, it just seemed so predictable. Gundy talked about it. Basically what they did is they shaded a safety over to Tay Martin's side when he was the solo receiver to the field. So they had the cornerback in a little bit off coverage, about four, five, six yards off, and then a safety over there, no matter how far Tay was split out. And what Oklahoma State did is they set the strength of the formation so the other two receivers and the Cowboy back are into the boundary or the short side of the field, which gives them a huge numbers advantage over there because West Virginia has their three linebackers kind of spread out. So one's over to Tay's side as well. So you basically have three guys over there, Warren, two of the linemen on that side going against five guys for West Virginia over there. And if you go back towards the field, you have a huge space because Tays split is so wide in between the tackle and him to gain some yards. They probably should have ran the ball better to the field than they did. But basically what they did is use the numbers advantage into the boundary, Warren did his cutbacks up the middle, and then you you pretty much have one-on-one matchups with the receivers to that side, and somebody's going to be open, especially if they're dropping into the zone. There's not enough guys to cover over there when you've got the Cowboys Cal- way back Presley and one of the other receivers over there so it just seemed kind of odd West Virginia's done this in the past when they've done it with Tylan Wallace had that safety safety shaded over it seemed like Dunn and Gundy knew exactly what they were going to do and they just executed a simple game plan used their zone running game really didn't see anything else besides zone a couple option plays and then the naked boot from Spencer but other than that it was just a simple game plan. And later in the game, when they were able to get Tay on some passes, they
0: hit him and he had a nice game. Well, I I completely agree with you for the simple game plan. It was, it was funny because the whole game was that way. And then we get to that moment late in the second quarter. I think it was late second quarter where Oklahoma state's driving, they're going to go up 17 three or, or whatever that moment in the game was where they ran those two trick plays back to back it was like Casey Doan was feeling himself, you know, like the momentum <laughs> is so palpable. Like Oklahoma state is about to, you know, put these guys in an avalanche and then they go back to back trick plays, which was very random to me, but I want to go back because I saw what you saw and it was very vanilla lean. On, and, and I say vanilla in an endearing fashion, not right, a, right. not a, um, you know, a knock. I thought Same with I, me
1: saying simple. Yeah. Not,
0: Simple, Simple vanilla, you guys are, were saying the <laughs> same thing. It worked great. And and they leaned on Warren, who I thought looked fresh, like really fresh, which, you know, kind of leans back to last week where comes out in the middle of the second quarter and doesn't play again, which is fantastic. And then this week he's, he's you know, going against, a, a, again, a pretty good West Virginia defense um, that's physical, especially up front. We've talked about it. Dante Sills was as advertised. Yeah, he's still um, had a great game. Great game had an interception, believe it or not. And um, you just didn't hear a ton from him, but he, his presence was there. And, you know, I guess my point to all of this is that Oklahoma State, again, was able to execute a simple game plan on offense, while leaning on the defense. To create space, they're not they're not doing what they used to do. Where they're trying to score fifty points a game to create space, they're literally leaning on the defense to create extra possessions and switch the field position battle. I don't know if you noticed it in the in the you know middle first quarter, middle second quarter, it was a field position battle. Um, it's three to nothing. Cowboys are not doing much on offense. And every possession, you know, Oklahoma State's moving West Virginia closer and closer to the goal line until eventually they make a mistake and Oklahoma State scores. That's what they're looking to do. And it's just if Spencer Sanders can cannot make those mistakes. And he didn't. He made one, frankly, not bad throw at all that got picked off by Dante Sills, as we've already mentioned. So, um, again, simple game plan, but executed to perfection, I would say. (laughs)
1: you hit on it perfectly. I'm looking at the field position rate, which is a per, the percentage of plays run from the opponent's side of the field. Oklahoma state, 48%, West Virginia, only 25. Yeah. They, they just completely dominated that, that aspect. And you know, you know how I feel about kicking and punters, but Tom Hutton, five punts inside the 20. I, I don't That's like my Gundy's music, baby, here, but Hey, <laughs> I got to shout him out for that. Cause he had a great game. Yeah. You're, you're right. And, And they just – the things that they were doing – I know they didn't have an insane game rushing the football, but they were still able to do things well against West Virginia's solid defensive line. I looked it up on PFF. So Jalen Warren, 64 of his 78 yards came between the tackles. 38 of those came between the guards. Basically what Oklahoma State was doing is they were using their zone running game, but instead of kind of stretching it to the field like we've seen with outside zone – They were letting the West Virginia defensive linemen kind of make their move and then sealing them off, opening up huge cutback lanes for Jalen Warren up the middle. And our guy,
0: Josh Sills, dominated this game. Is that kind of what we saw late fourth quarter against Texas? Like that's what it reminded me of.
1: Yeah. So Gundy even mentioned it. Gundy even mentioned it last week. I think it was on his Gundy radio show about how West Virginia likes to jump. Their defensive line so normally what a defensive lineman will do is he'll cut depending on the scheme whether it's gap two gap one gap but engage with the offensive lineman and then make their move when you're going against the zone team because there's so much cutback so you've got to kind of wait for the running back to make his move shed the offensive lineman and go make the tackle well West Virginia likes to kind of their defensive lineman like to jump and make their move first so what Oklahoma State's offensive line did is they let them do that, and they just sealed them off. So it didn't even really look like their normal zone running scheme because they were kind of trap blocking their defensive linemen. Going back to what I said, 38 yards up the middle, 5.4 yards for carry when he was rushing up the middle, just leaving these huge holes. And they were able to – That's what happened on his touchdown run as well. So they were just able to kind of do that over and over. And like I said with Sills, he was blowing through – his defensive lineman, and then getting to the second level and pancaking that it was, he had one of his best games, I think. And, and that's saying something because I think he's played
0: pretty good in every game. Well, that's a great segue because I don't know what the PFF grades say. I don't know what your analytics say. The offensive line to me from a protection standpoint, the passing game and a run blocking standpoint, I thought they played their cleanest game of the season. There were some hiccups in that first quarter, but beyond that, I thought they were, Brilliant. I didn't think any of the major errors of the offense were really on the offensive line. Again, I don't know what those analytics say, but just from, from my what my eyeballs tell me, that group is continuing to gel. And, you know, we talked about it, you know, post-Texas, post-Iowa State, post-Kansas, post-Baylor even, that that group was not much of an issue. And now we're looking at, you know, half this season where, you know, if you think back to Missouri State and Tulsa, we were talking – you know, well, we didn't have a podcast, but you and I were specifically talking about a bad Oklahoma State offensive line, or at least an offensive line that wasn't playing well. And that's just not the case right now. They're gelling. Yeah. I, like I said,
1: I thought, I thought they blocked for the run. Well, I thought they could have ran the ball a little bit better to the field side. I don't know if that was so much a play calling kind of sequencing there with done the blocking so much as just they kind of were looking to go to the boundary and looking for those cutbacks up the middle. But other than that, I thought the run blocking was great. God, Godlewski played well. Woodard had a few penalties on him on some passing plays, some holdings. But overall, I thought the pass protection was okay. We also saw complete Preston Wilson this game, no Springfield at all. They'd been kind of rotating in and out at right tackle, and it was only Wilson this game. You didn't see a snap, snap from Springfield.
0: Wow. They
1: struggle with those stunts. West Virginia likes to stunt. We talked about looping, where basically the defensive linemen will kind of loop around each other, fake like they're going toward the toward the gap they would normally go and then loop around. They still struggle with those at times, but I thought they did a lot better. And I thought overall it was a it was a great blocking effort. And speaking of blocking, Jaden Bray might be the best blocking
0: receiver on the team. He he certainly might be. And I I've said this before from, from a blocking perspective, but more so from You know what he does after the catch. I get shades of this. If you're driving, maybe pull over before I say this. (laughs) I get shades of Justin Blackman with his with the ball in his hands, the way he runs. He's so big. He's so physical. Um, You know, people have talked about him maybe being the next up, and I can see it. I think there's a ton of talent, young talent in that wide receiver core. But uh, man, he he stands out among the rest. Let's, Let's let's talk a little bit though about the quarterback, like Spencer Sanders, this is week four. I mean, this is week three and a half really of a step up and, and you and I were on it. You said it uh, even before, right around before the Texas game, Spencer Sanders was taking that jump. Right. And there has been no looking back, you know, that, that pick he threw in the first half of that Texas game. After that he's played the best football of his career and we were right on it. And so that, to me, is what gives me confidence going forward. I don't know what this season has in store for Oklahoma State, but it honestly feels like it's as simple as it – this season will go as far as Spencer Sanders takes it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So we had 10 incompletions. I have it, I have it listed right here. Three of those were throwaways. One was a drop from Presley. Love throwaways. <laughs> what? what One, I think, was a pretty nice throw to Martin over the middle when they were in the red zone. There was a little bit of traffic in there, but I think it was a good play by West Virginia's defense. Then we saw the James Washington, Mason Rudolph slant bubble RPO. I don't think I've seen that in a while. Basically what that is is the quarterbacks reading the defensive back. If the defensive back runs up on the bubble screen, he knows he'll have that quick slant because – that receiver is going to get leverage on his defensive back. And honestly, I thought it was just a bad route by green. The defensive back kind of got in on him and he wasn't really able to break on it. So I'm not going to count that one against Sanders. So you have the interception on the screen, one low throw to Tay Martin that he almost caught, which I think he had to throw that low with the defender behind his back, the deep throw overthrow to Martin, which again, good defensive play by West Virginia. And then a really poor throw to Presley on the shallow cross, but that's four throws out of 31 that maybe weren't great. And
0: I, they don't result in picks. They don't result in picks. They don't result in fumbles. Um, and again, I, I don't want to tutor on horn, but I'm going to, because we've we've talked about this for a few weeks now. This was not something that we're just looking at it before. our Like that Texas game, and, and even in the first half with that pick, This is four games. This is four games where Spencer has appeared to be seeing the field better, um, making better decisions with his feet. Uh, We saw that again this week, Uh, better uh, awareness of when to tuck and run. And you said it. And I, I I said, I love it. Throwing the ball away, you know, get under pressure. And if you're flushed out, nobody's there, throw it away. And he just looks in complete control of the offense. And, You know, part of it is from a game management standpoint, you know, gives me some Alex Smith vibes um, for the Chiefs a few years ago where he's not going to make the big mistake, but he's just also not going to take the top off. But at the same time, like, you know what he's capable of. Um, And I just feel like we're getting a more refined version of Spencer Sanders. You know, Gundy talked about it. for the last two and a half years, you know, you just have to live with what Spencer Sanders is going to do mistake wise. Well, maybe you don't, maybe you can actually have a boiled down version of Spencer Sanders where you get the good and you remove a lot of what makes him ugly, so to speak. Yeah, I completely agree. And the one, maybe the
1: only other knock on in this game is that sack,
0: you know, normally yeah, you say quarterback should have yeah. about 2.7
1: to three seconds is what you hear all the time. I, I count, I, stopwatched it when I went back and watched that he was a little bit over four a little bit over four seconds but kind of to your point as long as he's not taking two or three of those a game you'd like him to throw it away but maybe maybe take the sack there instead of throw it into coverage as we've seen him right. do at times in the past
0: well all I heard right there is that you broke the stopwatch out for the podcast <laughs> so that right there folks that's why you should be liking and I'm subscribing. a huge
1: stopwatch guy Big time stop.
0: Yeah. As we've seen with that four, four 40 years for sure. Uh, well, no, I, I, and I think again, the key, the key to the rest of the season, but really the key to this four game stretch is what Spencer Sanders has been able to do. And again, I think if you're going to talk about, you know, running the table, potentially getting to the college football playoff, crazy enough that we're saying that it's, it's as much as Spencer Sanders is going to take you there. Um, and so again, this game does nothing to me to, to, you know, knock that confidence that I have in him. We, again, we've been on it. I'm pumped that we've been on it because this is um, you know, this feels like the progression and I, I hope he doesn't turn back. I don't think he's going to look back, but I hope he doesn't. Yeah, I agree. And
1: I'll put some, I'll put some clips up this week on Twitter of just some more I've done it the past couple of weeks, but just kind of him going through, speaking of the word progression, him going through his progressions and not just, keying in on the first receiver and even if it's sometimes him just looking the safety off it's just really cool to see him do that because you can tell that's a growth thing we haven't always seen that from him
0: and it's pretty impressive to watch him in the pocket these past four and he and he gets some help right now from a healthy wide receiver core right
1: i mean tay martin's
0: healthy brendan presley's healthy
1: I don't know if we can talk about Tay Martin again, because I think last podcast we were saying he was Des Bryant, but those, <laughs> those, <laughs> those fade routes to him. And the the thing he doesn't get frustrated, what we talked about, you know, they're shading that safety over the top of them. Well, Dunn starts moving him around in the formation. I went back and looked pretty much everything except those fade routes. He caught when he was on the two receiver side because West Virginia continues shading a safety over to the single receiver side. So Dunn moves him around. And when you've got Tay Martin with kind of what I said, the numbers to the boundary, get him the football. And it, it's just, he just is a complete receiver. He, he tries the block. He's great on the deep ball, great route runner. Like I said, doesn't get frustrated because he's not getting the ball early on. Great at the fade route, those routes he's running where he's able to drive his defender upfield and then break, but leave, break, break to the sideline, but leave Spencer
0: enough room to throw him the ball over the top. That's just textbook running the fade route. Well, and, and Martin was, I mean, again, and I don't, I don't even like saying this. I've already compared one wide receiver to Justin Blackman. <laughs> I can't possibly compare another one to, to Des Bryant, but I'm going to. He looks like Des out there. That first yeah, fade catch, or Randy Moss or Jerry Rice, where he pulls the ball away from the defender. It's just like that is, that's beautiful football. And it's how it's exactly how they teach it. And I'm pumped to see, you know, you already basically said last week that Tay is the best route runner we've had since fill in the blank. I mean, yeah, he's a fantastic route runner and him and Spencer on that fade route connection near the goal line. That's not something we've seen since maybe Whedon to Blackman. Seriously. Yeah,
1: it's, it's pretty incredible. The way that Spencer can drop that in, and the way that Tay knows exactly how much room to give him towards the sideline in the end zone. It's just it's beautiful. And the fact that they've done it several times, no, you know that they can continue to have success. Well, and
0: now, and now defenses have to be aware of that. You know, I feel like in the past, we that that throw has been made out of kind of let's see if this works. Now it's like it's an actual weapon, Spencer. And, and I'm going to heap more praise on Spencer. That's his best, you know, tool in his toolbox, so to speak. That fade route, it's money every time. On, on that five-yard line, seven-yard line, he takes one step back, and it's money every time. Um, we, we saw it in the Texas game, saw it in the Iowa State game. It's money every time. And to have that connection is invaluable, really. It really is.
1: I I love that they ran it one time out of 13 personnel, meaning that's with the three cowboy backs on the field. I'm pretty sure I know they've done a few different things out of that, but pretty much when they line up in 13, they're either running inside zone or power where the backside guard pulls. And to see them run the fade route out of that, I think that cost caught West Virginia off guard. I may be wrong, but I don't think they have that on film.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't know either. You know, I'm I'm looking back at our text messages from the game, which are a plenty. Uh, <laughs> but you said at 3:45 on on Saturday, wide receiver screens. We saw Brendan Presley get utilized. Saw Jaden get utilized. I mean, what what do you think they saw in film? And and I think we talked about it last week. Very similar to the Texas offense, where they may try to get underneath. I mean, what what did you see? Why that may have been? a part of the game plan.
1: Well, West Virginia's playing that off coverage. They like to play zone, so you kind of have it makes it a little bit tougher for the receiver to go and block him when he's off, but you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself 3 or 4 yards before the defensive back can get there when he's 6-7 yards off the ball. So I think against those against those teams that run that zone off coverage, they're going to throw that. And then like I said, when they threw it to the two receiver side, they had a numbers advantage there mm-hmm. because West Virginia was giving extra safety help to the single receiver pretty much every time. So I think those were the two things. And Gundy said they did this last time. They did this when Oklahoma State had Tylen Wallace. So it seems like they just thought they were going to do it again and they were 100% correct. It, basically, what it felt like to me watching this game, and I know we'll hit on it on the defensive side, is that Oklahoma State from film knew exactly what West Virginia was going to do on both sides of the ball in West Virginia didn't either didn't know or wasn't able to
0: stop what Oklahoma state was doing. I am going to say something here because it feels like for the last five years that Oklahoma state has significantly outcoached West Virginia. I I don't know. I I'm, I'm thinking back to even two years ago with drew Brown going into Morgantown (laughs) getting that win four years before or two years before that with Rudolph and, and JD King, um, it feels like Mike Gundy it, and and whoever that assistant may be at the time, obviously with with time, uh, assistants change. But it feels like Oklahoma State's got that got their number a little bit. And again, you know, you said it earlier in the podcast, it never really felt like this game was in jeopardy, even at ten to three. I, I didn't feel like it was in jeopardy at zero to three. It was like this this is going to go Oklahoma State's way because you like what you've seen scheme wise from the offense, what they're doing makes sense. It's going to click. Um, and again, I think, I think we saw a little bit of that defensive front wear down for West Virginia, but it's a perfect segue into the defensive side of the ball where we saw potentially on that defensive front, you know, early on West Virginia has a lot of success and I hope you're fine with us going straight into the defense because yeah, no, it, I was good with, Uh, that defensive front on their first drive, West Virginia basically got half of their total offense on that first drive. And what you saw going forward was the defensive front just absolutely dominating West Virginia's offensive line, which is not what West Virginia was able to do to Oklahoma State.
1: Yeah. They did not let West Virginia do anything on first and second down. The average third down distance to go for West Virginia in the game 10.1 10.1 yards. So 0. 0.1 more than they started away from the first down. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. And and the big thing, Cade, scheme-wise, and Knowles touched on it, they get eight sacks. I I so PFF has one blitz from Oklahoma State. I counted three on pass plays because I, I don't normally count on the run play just because I know they're crashing hard. Sometimes it's difficult for me to tell. So uh, since I'm dumb, I don't count them on the run plays. But on the pass plays, I only counted three times where they brought five guys or more. They got eight sacks because on film they saw that the they saw that West Virginia's tackles could not handle the speed rush, and they sent. There were so many plays with Martin and Oliver out there on the field at the same time, way more than we've seen this season. And there was there was so many plays with two down defensive linemen or <laughs> right. even one hand-in-the-ground defensive lineman, and uh, it, it's telling on the stats. So here's some defensive linemen, hand-in-the-ground guys that they normally play out there. So Jaden Jernigan, Brennan Evers, Israel Antoine, Sioni C. So Jernigan had his fewest Big 12 snaps, total snaps, tied with UT. Evers had his fewest. Antoine had his second fewest, and AC had his fewest. The, re- the reason why they had so little snaps is because Oklahoma State was getting There's speed guys out there, Martin, Oliver, uh, Tyron Irby even playing, his most snaps, and they were getting these guys out there, sending them off the edge, and they're not even really doing any kind of moves, just rushing straight at the quarterback, collapsing the pocket, and they were able to get sacks rushing three and four, or at least getting QB hurries. Martin and Oliver had 11 combined QB hurries on Daigie, and they made him comfortable from the jump. And Dan Ovlowski kept saying it on the call – that Daggy's missing these reads. I didn't see as many as he saw, but also, I'm you know I'm, I'm not there. I didn't have the all twenty two. I think it was the reason he was missing the reads is because he had that voice in the back of his head like, "Hey, I'm about to get hit. I need to get out of the pocket. I need to throw it away." And that game plan just completely destroyed all of West Virginia's hope and momentum on offense. They were never never able to get anything going after
0: that first drive. I, I, I don't want to hammer Dan Orlovsky, but I'm 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 about to stand up out of my chair because you said exactly what I was going to say. There were several times in that game where where Dan Orlovsky, the commentator, was pointing out like Dage's not seeing the open guy. And what Dan Orlovsky was missing is that there's four guys He's about to get his head in Daigie's off. face. Yeah, He has nowhere to go. And the one that jumped out at me was that tunnel screen in, in, in maybe the second quarter. It's like he's got nowhere to go. And, and the fact that he took seven sacks, eight sacks total, I, I went back and watched it. It was at seven total with three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. So <laughs> I don't know who they threw in there in that fourth quarter range, but they were already at seven sacks total. Uh, in those first two and a half quarters, it's it's just unbelievable. And I had my note was that Brock Martin and Colin Oliver specifically stood out to me. You know, I'm a Brennan Evers guy. Uh, I love that interior defensive line with Israel Antwine. But I got a shout out, Colin Oliver and uh, Brock Martin. Those guys have popped off the screen this season before. You know, I think back to the Texas game, but this week it was dominant and and as you mentioned just a second ago it's because the defense knew they could get after on the tackle for West Virginia so uh absolutely dominating performance and really I think that defensive front rushing three the fact that they were able to consistently get to Daigie and even more so as the game progressed I mean, just set the tone for what you know frankly was the most dominating defensive performance I can remember
1: yeah, and it it absolutely kind of blew my mind because going into the game, I talked about it on the podcast last week. I thought West Virginia had a good offensive line, not not the best in the big twelve, as Dan Ordlowski said at the beginning of the game. But I thought they were a good a good offensive line. I, I saw Ian Boyd do a write up on uh, he does his who won the week in the big twelve. He had talked before the game about West Virginia having one of the better offensive lines, and he thought next year they maybe, would be the preseason ranked best offensive line in the Big Twelve, and they their tackles just got absolutely dominated, especially their right tackle. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, number fifty, but he just got you know absolute, <laughs> Brandon Yates, that's his name. I,
0: sorry to call him out, but I think he just I think he needs it. I think he needs it because I, I, he got destroyed. I heard Orlovsky say that, and I didn't even clock it. That he was basically saying this is going to be one of the best offensive lines in the Big 12. And they gave up eight sacks. Like that right there is the type of game that Orlovsky tossed
1: on Saturday. (laughs) But I can't even fault him because I said
0: the same. I said something really similar on the podcast. Where where you were going, though, I know where you were going. You were talking about their RPOs, they were going to get the ball out quick, and they didn't do any of that.
1: Yeah, they really didn't. And I I think it was just because Dagi got. Similar to what Gundy says about Spencer, if the offensive line's not able to protect him earlier and he can't get his feet set early on in games, he gets a little off. And that's when he makes some mistakes. And I think you saw that with Daigie. I think he just never felt comfortable in the pocket. And it probably just threw him off his reads because he looked terrible. Like if I was a West Virginia fan,
0: I would have been calling to just keep Garrett Green in the game and let him run it. Well, at least keep that defensive line at bay, right? Like right. that way, that way, those defensive ends can't just key. Yeah, they can't just rush. speed rush up field. Yeah, yeah, because
1: yeah. you can QB draw on them, which obviously will be something we'll talk about with TCU and uh, Chandler Morris. But yeah, and then at the end of the game, I didn't understand what West Virginia was doing. Gundy brought this up in his radio show this week. They stopped throwing downfield. They didn't even really try. They didn't use any tempo they weren't trying to hit anything out of bounds like close to the sideline to stop the clock i think they just were so defeated and had used everything up in their game plan that they just kind of packed it in it was it was quite
0: odd to watch the end of that game from a west virginia offensive standpoint it it really was and i feel bad cuz like we we kind of uh scoffed at ku last week and we're doing it <laughs> inadvertently the same way this week towards West Virginia who I gave them so much props though on the last podcast <laughs> you did you gave them so much that I was nervous you th- you would have thought they were a college
1: playoff team by how I talked and I've had several buddies call me out my buddy Craig Fuller they've called me out so hey I deserve it hey because no, they looked terrible but <laughs>
0: They they didn't look great. I'll give you that. Um, but again, you gave them so much credit that I mean, I, my brother. Called I hate me him on now. I'm mad at him now. I'll give my brother a shout out on Saturday morning. He was uh, he gave me a call and he's like, "How do you feel about this game?" And I just got a little quiet and I'm like, "I've heard too much from from somebody who knows too much in you," and <laughs> I was like, "I don't know if I like it." And and then it's twenty four to three, and I mean, it just utter domination, but I, what I think West Virginia wanted to do was let their quarterback stand still in the pocket. And that just frankly never happened. And if you can't, if you can't keep your quarterback upright, then nothing matters. So like as much as I've been laughing for the last minute and a half here, but you weren't that far off. And I, I, I think what really happened was that West Virginia just couldn't protect anybody. Uh, and, and again, Colin Oliver, Brock Martin those defensive ends uh just absolutely dominated absolutely dominated yeah. and they got solid play from the secondary too i'm not sure
1: what, what what exactly happened but Christian Holmes was in the game early he made some great plays he had a nice tackle he's such a good open field tack all the cornerbacks on on Oklahoma state's team are really good open field tacklers which is awesome uh that i feel like that's not something Oklahoma state defenses have had right. in the past right but Holmes came out for a little bit because Jabbar Muhammad got got 18 snaps. I'm looking at right now and he had a pass breakup. He played great. He had an awesome open field tackle on a little uh, swing pass out to, I think it was Winston, Wright. So when you have that kind of depth, I know we've talked about it many times on the podcast, but the depth in the defensive backfield, all those guys played great. Holmes played great. Bernard Converse had a good game. And then you get to the linebackers and I, I don't know if we can praise him any more than we did last week, but Devin Harper, the guy's a psycho. He's all over the field. I don't understand. I watch a play and he starts out, you know, in the linebacker position, and then he makes a tackle on the complete opposite
0: side of the field by the sideline. I have no idea how he even got over there. (laughs) Well, and in those linebackers, again, everybody's kind of playing. I say everybody, everybody minus nose guard, defensive tackle, uh, Colby Harville Peel everybody's playing a little bit of defensiveless or positionless I'm sorry uh, football like they're kind of playing that NBA style where where you've got five guards out there with just running crazy that's kind of what Oklahoma State's doing but they've got an anchor in the middle they've got two corners on the outside and two safeties in Harville Peel and Jason Taylor and as you just mentioned Dustin the linebackers can run wild and Devin Harper apparently is, fantastic at that <laughs> yeah he's awesome and Rodriguez is awesome too they just
1: teams use so much motion we'll see it again with TCU this week they use so much motion to you know get get the defense to tip their coverage whether they're in man or zone get the linebackers moving and Malcolm and Devin it they just don't let it phase them they don't let any pre-snap eye candy anything post-snap phase them they're just seeking the ball seeking their run fit And they hardly ever make mistakes. Those two guys. It's not that they're making the play every time. It's just almost mistake-free football from Malcolm and Devin, and it's it's impressive to watch.
0: I've had a lot of friends of uh, and they're fans of different teams mention Oklahoma State's ability to tackle. I, I went back and watched because it jumped out at me in this game that the tackling was fantastic, and it has been. But like, why was it so good this time? And they're just in the right spot and when you're in the right spot you're well coached you you're fundamentally sound it's not hard to break down and make a tackle and again no but nobody else in the big 12 is doing that I mean Iowa State you could you could definitely make a case for I'm probably selling them short to be frank but beyond them there's nobody else that's near as as fundamentally sound as well coached and is good at just frankly wrapping up in open field uh that no, Oklahoma I- State is the only person that gets recorded missed tackles is Colin Oliver.
1: And it's because he literally is almost <laughs> sacking the quarterback. Yeah. Cause he's
0: <laughs> a crazy man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, and we got to give credit to Knowles again, mixing up a huge mix of zone, man. I saw some cover two out there th- throwing cover three. The I think the cover two was to combat cause the cornerbacks are playing in the flats there. I think that was to combat some of the, quick routes to the outside that Dagie likes to throw that he threw against Iowa state that we talked about. So just kind of mixing things up. And when you're getting that kind of pressure with three or four and you're able to throw that many different coverages at Dagie it's, it's hard. It's hard for any quarterback. I'm, I'm not even just trying to take shots at Dagie right now. It would be hard for any quarterback. If you can get to him with three and then just throw a ton of different coverages that your defensive backfield and linebackers can run really soundly and really well, It's it's pretty much impossible to throw on. I it was just it was just a masterclass from the entire defense and people have already seen all the post game note stats, so we don't have to run through all those. But you know, like the fewest yards of total offense allowed since 2000. I think Savannah State had more total yards of offense. It's just
0: an absolute world class game from the defense. Well, I mean, I'm going back to the to the quarterback position real quick, what you mentioned about Jared Dagey, they were able to get to him with three and I'm looking ahead on the schedule and I don't like to do this. Um, we don't do this on the podcast very often, but <laughs> I look at the quarterbacks ahead of Oklahoma state's defensive front right now. And that is Chandler Morris. Um, Texas, Tech quarterback, um, Columbia, is that right? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Henry Columbia, I think is right. And that's no disrespect. I, I just kept it. Fantastic hair. I'd kill for it, frankly. Uh, <laughs> and then Caleb Williams, um, you know, who, you know, has loser. lit the world up, but also a big time loser. So, uh, <laughs> my point to that is, um, just kidding, I, awesome. I don't know if it's time to get excited or not. But uh, what we saw in, like, I, I thought Jared Dagey might have more success, frankly, a lot more success than he did. And he had zero against Oklahoma State. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, the the ability of the Oklahoma State's defensive front to get pressure. But I'm looking ahead. TCU's are not scared That's what you're saying. I, I'm not, you're not that scared. scared. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing it to myself again. I said <laughs> last year after getting boat raced to Norman that I wouldn't do it again. But I'm kind of going down that road, and I think, I think we can spend a little time on this before we move on to TCU and some other things that we've got to talk about. Like, what does that performance do for you going forward? Knowing that you've got TCU, they, I don't know who their quarterback is. If it's Chandler Morris – You know, my final words, my last words maybe will be that it doesn't scare me. If it's Max Duggan, that's fine too. Uh, And then you got Columbia and Caleb Williams, all quarterbacks that have a lot to prove to me.
1: The defensive play makes me feel like we can play, we can go into the next two weeks, have as long as we don't turn the ball over on offense, but have subpar games on offense and, and win them by relying on the defense. Right. And I know the media keeps asking Gundy those questions and his pressers. And if I was him, I know he's not going to just come out and say this, but I would basically say, yes, I feel like we can rely on the defense for the next two games. And
0: I wouldn't be worried about it at all. Well, and and the reason for me asking you that, like, and you answered it perfectly. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about the offense here. I'm thinking about how the defense matches up with these three teams because You know, we used to talk on our old podcast on a former network. We used to talk about how the offense matched up with a defense for 50 minutes. Now we're talking about how the defense matches up with an offense. And I'm looking ahead at the three offenses, Oklahoma, obviously some firepower, but at the same time, I think there's a, a chance that what you're seeing today, you know, this last weekend in in, on Saturday carries on against, you know, a Chandler Morris or a Max Duggan, against a Henry Columbia, Harry Columbia, Hank Columbia, I don't know his first name. I know it's H, maybe H, I don't know. Uh, and, then, and then Caleb Williams, there's an, there's an actual opportunity here uh, with a strength of your team to potentially exploit a weakness of another team at the remainder of your schedule. I just, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I need you to talk me off a ledge, honestly. No, I agree, I agree with you. I won't be able to. I'm, I might just jump <laughs> off with, grab you and jump off. Well, that'll be into the uh, 40 feels like 45 podcast. So uh, there we go. But uh, Dustin before, I mean, maybe we wrap up on West Virginia here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's cool with me. I was going to say, do you want to talk? You kind of perfectly segued talking about Chandler Morris
0: into TCU's offense. I sure do. Before we get to TCU and Chandler Morris, let's hear a word from our sponsor. There's a specific set of rules I live by And one of those is that no tailgate Is complete without a grill No tailgate of mine at least And I know that no grill is complete without gridiron metalworks Uh, These guys are fantastic If you haven't heard of them Take a look. They do great work. They do collegiate branded grill grates, griddles, flower pots, stainless steel bookends, coasters, can coolers, and it's all in Oklahoma State school colors. I don't know if you've been walking through the store before. You see something with the Oklahoma State logo, but it really resembles the suit that Lloyd wore in Dumb and Dumber. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even close. But these guys at Gridiron Metalworks, they nail the color. And with their products, you know, with their grill grates, you can sear your steak, burgers, brats, veggies and they give you the perfect pistol Pete mark every time plus in addition to all that this is the perfect gift to shop for I know we got the holidays coming up right around the corner and you probably know somebody in your life who you need something to buy something for whether it's a boss family member co-worker whatever it may be I bet you know who they like what team they support where they went to school and I bet they're a big 12 school and if they are Every single Big 12 school has a product through Gridiron Metalworks, so go check them out. Um, these are high-quality, custom-cut, made in the United States, and right now, when you use the promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if my wife's listening. I want one of these. Speaking of you know, somebody that's hard to purchase for, that's me. I know I do not have a Pistol Pete grill grate on my grill, but I wish I did. And uh, maybe she's standing outside the door listening to me. I could I could only help. But again, right now, use the promo code FEELS12 and you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a very generous offer and very thankful for that. I'm wondering if I can use my own promo code. I'll have to run that up the flagpole. Uh, the kicker, all orders over $100 bucks get free shipping. And so if you're a K-State fan, a West Virginia fan, uh, and you're looking for a grill great griddle or a unique metal home good for your collection, just visit gridironmetal.com and use our promo code feels twelve. Fifteen percent off your first order. All right, we're back. Oklahoma State eight and one, coming off a huge win in Morgantown against West Virginia. Coming up, TCU at home, seven o'clock kick. It's a blackout honoring Barry Sanders. It's going to be a great game. But Dustin, what do you see? You know, in this matchup, that that stands out to you?
1: Yeah. So I think. I think it's going to be Chandler Morris from what I've seen that's going to be taking the the helmet quarterback. Max Duggan hurt his foot in the K-State game. It was really weird when I went back and watched. Morris came in. Duggan was still on the sideline. Morris got his helmet ripped off. So Duggan had to come back in with a hurt foot for a play, which made me feel like he wasn't that hurt. And then he comes out, and then Morris comes out and throws for, what was it?
0: Like a thousand yards, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: four. It was four sixty-one and two touchdowns against Baylor last week, and they're able to win thirty to twenty-eight, which was a absolutely wild game. Baylor should have won at the end if it wasn't for a Bohannon interception. But TCU basically what they did with so Gary Patterson's not there anymore. We know Gary Patterson likes to get conservative at times on offense. They've got Doug Meacham, OSU grad, as their Shut offensive out. coordinator. He's an air raid guy, but it's, it's, you know, it's the Dana Holgerson power air raid scheme that we've seen Oklahoma state kind of take from the Holgerson days and continue on with kind of implementing and changing things around with even today. So you see a little air raid tendencies, you see a little power, power run game, but what they did against Baylor is they basically opened things up and let Morris throw it 41 times. They went away from, what they were doing, their run-centric zone power run game that they were doing with running back Zach Evans, he's also confirmed out this week. It looks like they're going to be without uh, Miller as well, their backup. So it's going to be Emory Di Mercado and Chandler Morris in their running game, and I don't even think they have another scholarship running back Jeez. on their roster, but. Basically what they did to Baylor is open things up. They went 10 and 11 personnel. They did a couple things with 12 personnel, some diamond formation that we've seen Oklahoma State do. But they just went four and five wide. They do a lot of the four wide and they kind of sprint the running back out into the, into the flat before the snap. And Baylor dropped into cover three on pretty much every third down and Morris just shredded them apart. He looked really composed, really poised. I watched this second half of the K-State game. He had okay stats for how – I think he was like 11 to 14. He had a few rushing yards. But he, he had a fumble. He looked kind of pressured. He was scrambling a lot really early before the pressure even got to him out of the pocket. That did not happen in the Baylor game. They were not able to get any pressure on him. They actually blitzed quite a bit. And when they did get to him, he was releasing the ball quick enough. Just so many gaps in the zone. And I'm not going to give – Baylor's breaks in the zone and busted coverages and them not being able to give pressure. I'm not going to give all the credit to, or the, I guess not credit to them because Moore's threw some absolute dimes down the field. And that's been TCU's thing all year. They've taken 56 shots, 20 plus yards down the field. They are one of the top teams in the country in 30 plus yard explosive plays. They do a lot of jet sweep, a lot of orbit motion, and what they're going to try to do is spread you out. Morris is going to want to throw the ball around. And when he gets you guessing, when he gets you dropping back into your zone, when he gets your linebacker matched up on the running back in coverage, they're going to QB draw. And they ran QB draw like seven times against Baylor. And I think it worked six of them. And it was pretty large gains every single time. So that's what they like to do. Like I said, they're only going to have demarcado at running back, but they've got Quentin Johnson is their best player. 6'4 wide receiver. He's fast. He's strong. Five catches for 142 yards against Baylor. Basically, they just – when Morris got in trouble, he threw it to him. They've got a couple good slot receivers in Tay Barber. They've got um, Blair Conright number 22, which I love that, on a receiver. Pretty good player. So – and then Quincy Brown is their other outside guy. All those guys are pretty good at wide receiver, but Johnson's the, Johnson's the guy that can make big plays. I just – I know I just pumped them up, but I just don't think they have enough firepower. I'm a little worried, not worried. I, I guess I'm worried for Chandler Morris. I don't think, I think Oklahoma State is going to be able to get to him. I'm not very impressed with TCU's offensive line. And so I think when he gets that pressure, it's going to be a similar situation to Daigie. He's going to get frustrated. He's going to try to scramble too early. And if he tries to scramble on Oklahoma State, we saw what Devin Harper
0: did to Daigie. So. Well, I'm trying to draw parallels between a common opponent here with Oklahoma State and TCU having already played Baylor, who's who's a good defense in the Big 12, probably number three. I think we could agree on that. Probably mm-hmm. right behind Iowa State, definitely ahead of OU, TCU, Texas, that group. I'm trying to draw a parallel here because Baylor wasn't able to create much pressure on Spencer Sanders, right? I, I, don't, I don't remember his errors being caused by pressure. I remember them being caused by confusion on the back end, dropping a uh, him not knowing what to do with the football and, and maybe some immaturity, whatever you want to call it. Um, Oklahoma State's going to do that as well. Um, but thinking about Chandler Morris here, I don't know how he – does what he did last week against a defense that causes as much confusion on the back end as Oklahoma States does. So they're going to create more pressure uh, against TCU than perhaps Baylor did.
1: Yeah. and Morris wants to run around, make crazy throws, Brett Farbett, John little Manzella. Baker
0: Mayfield. Yeah, is what I would Baker. Mayf-
1: yes, no, I think that's a great comparison. He doesn't have a ton of velocity on his throws. Like I said, he threw some dimes, but he, and he also, in the K-State game, he, even in the Baylor game as well, he was begging them to pick him off. He threw, he threw some into, he had some dimes, but he threw some into coverage. And I just, I don't think, I think now that Oklahoma State has a game and a half of film on him. You got to remember Baylor only had two quarters worth of film on this guy. Would he take 15 snaps at Oklahoma maybe? Yeah, if that, I, mean, I could, yeah, I could I, get not that even, number like, for you. Maybe none. I I don't even know. But very low number. So they have two, they have two quarters worth of film. So to Dave Aran and Baylor's credit, they didn't really have a lot of film on this guy. I don't think they knew that TCU was going to spread him out and run QB draw over and over again. Because in the K-State game, they were doing a lot of zone
0: read stuff with him. I don't think I saw QB draw once. I just want to so, point out real quick before you continue. Chandler Morris threw five passes at five. Uh, the University of Oklahoma. So okay, yeah.
1: So no, no film at all on this guy. Now that Oklahoma State has a little bit, and it's not much, I think they'll be able to key on Quentin Johnston. I, I mean, DeMarcado is a solid player, but nineteen attempts for thirty-four yards against Baylor. I just don't think they're going to be able to get anything going in the running game. Like I said, they've got they've got a decent left tackle, but Coker, their right tackle. I want to say he had like three or four holding penalties in the Baylor game. And he's definitely going to have someone Brock Martin coming off the edge and Colin Oliver. I just don't, I know they played really well. I know he threw for 461 yards, but against the Oklahoma state defense, I, I can't
0: see that happening. I, 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 what do you think? No, I, I'm with you and I'm kind of, I'm looking back over, over his game log. And obviously the week before, you know, Gary Patterson's final game uh, at TCU, you know, Chandler Morris goes nine to 14, 111 yards, no touchdowns, but also no interceptions. He hasn't turned the ball over in two weeks. Um, And that's impressive in its own right. Uh, Kansas state Baylor, not the best defenses in the big 12 by any stretch, but not, not terrible defenses. And so, You know, there's a little bit of a concern there. Like, why are they able to move the ball without necessarily an overly effective run game Uh, with no Zach Evans, of course, that that's a huge factor in this, but also not an overly effective offensive line. I think you just said it just a second ago, Chandler Morris's uh, ability to create beyond uh, what's given to him, just like a Johnny Manziel, what a Baker Mayfield would. Um, I will say this, though. I think what we saw a little bit of last week was was magic. And this this may be famous last words again, but, um, you know, and I, I don't think 460 passing yards is, is magic by any stretch, but I do think there was something in the air that allowed and helped TCU, you know, with a change in, in leadership there that may have helped them, uh, you know, catch some momentum because i watched that k-state game i watched all of that the week before i thought that program was dead after having watched that and then you come back and beat you know the the number three team in the big 12 i mean baylor number 12 in the country and just you know really push them around um that was shocking and so i wouldn't be shocked to be shocked again i guess is what i'm saying um but i my my gut tells me that this is kind of where Oklahoma State's defense thrives in a situation like this. We thought Jared Dagey might be able to exploit some of Oklahoma State's weaknesses on the defense last week, and none of that happened. Um, I would be more worried if you would have asked me two weeks ago, would you be more worried about Jared Dagey or Chandler Morris? I would have told you 10 times out of 10, Jared Dagey concerns me more.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be, and I agree with you. I think it's, I think Morris is going to pick up some long third downs from scrambling, but I think a majority of the time he's going to try to scramble too early because I think there will be some pressure, and he's going to get hit by Malcolm or Devin, either for no gain, a couple yards, and they're just going to be they're going to be behind this. I think they're going to have a lot of third and longs, which they converted a lot of third and longs yeah, against Baylor, but. I, do, I can't see that happening again. I, I can see a few. I don't think I don't think Oklahoma State's going to completely blow them out. I just think now that Oklahoma State knows what Chandler Morris knows what Meacham wants to do with Chandler Morris at quarterback. and with the limited options they have in the backfield, if Miller and Evans are both really out, one scholarship running back, I don't think Quentin Johnson and Chandler
0: Morris can beat this Oklahoma State defense by themselves. No, and I don't. I don't think so either. Um, you know, I think I think where my internal bias is coming out here is where Oklahoma State historically loses the season. And I think back to 2017, like, and you know, I'm I'm kind of hedging my bet here. I already said I think Oklahoma State can compete with everybody in the Big 12. I also think you know, I've seen Oklahoma State lose a game like this before. And I've lo- I've seen Oklahoma State lose to quarterbacks and, and players like this before. And so I completely agree with you. I do not think that TCU has that offensive p- firepower to compete with Oklahoma State, especially for four quarters in a hostile environment, at seven o'clock in Stillwater. I, I don't see how TCU does that. But um, there is part of me that you know, now maybe I'm playing the other side. Last week you were, you know, uh, maybe, maybe hedging your bet for West Virginia. I'm hedging mine. Um, this game feels like that last true hurdle before you get a shot at OU to really get into the uh, conference title game and then beyond. Yeah. I, I could see it
1: happening again. If, if Morris, if Morris is just hot right now, but And and maybe
0: that's what I'm looking at. That's, that's, you know, scaring me is his ability to carve up a defense. That's, that's pretty good in Baylor. I mean, they, they held Oklahoma state to 24, really though. I mean, kind of shut them down for most of that game. So that's really where I'm at. That that makes me nervous. But uh, I, I do think Oklahoma state's going to come out on top in this game. I I do think they're going to have plenty of firepower. We'll get into it as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't, I can't really get that out of my head. Well, here's the reason why I'm not super worried about the game as a whole. If
1: you want to switch to the TCU defense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they did play well against Baylor, but before that, and it, like we mentioned, Gary Patterson's not there anymore, kind of changing regime. So they could, they could have turned over a new leaf, but they are right now they're 120th in defensive points per drive. 124th in drive yards allowed per opponent offensive play, out of 130 teams. Th- that is That's, not good. That is not good <laughs> at all. They did they did play pretty well against Baylor, but it's the same. They're kind of doing the same thing. Obviously, they're not going to make a complete defensive scheme change, but they run that Gary Patterson 4-2-5. Sometimes on th- uh, on third down, they'll run that 3-2-6 dime package, and in the back in their defensive backfield. Like to do they like to do quarters, kind of they like to do that pattern match zone we talked about where looks like zone, looks like man, looks like zone, looks like man, where the guys are kind of trading people off as they come guard them as man until they get out of your zone, and you pass them off to the next defender. So you'll see a lot of that. So Oklahoma State should get some favorable matchups with their receivers, but really what they did against Baylor is they went and they've done this against a lot of teams this year, just hasn't really worked. They went super aggressive on first down. So basically, what they will do is they have their safeties seven, eight yards off the ball. It looks like they almost have an eight man box on first down. Baylor was able to bust a huge run at the beginning of the game. And I think that kind of got Aranda and the coaching staff's confidence up. Outside of that, and then some big pass plays, which I'll touch on a little bit on first down later in the game, they were only able to gain 3.4 yards on first down for the entire game. Mm average so it's just they just dared them to beat them over the top deep and Bohannon couldn't do it he missed a lot of throws he did like I said he hit on a couple he hit on a couple deep first down passes later in the game but they were just daring Baylor to beat them over the top deep on first down and Baylor just continued to run the football and TCU was sound in their run defense they had some nice run fits they've got Dylan Horton number 98 solid on their defensive line d winners number 13 at linebacker these guys are good players and even though tcu's defense i just you know bashed them with those numbers on points per drive and offensive points per play but they played well in this game and they came out with that strategy and
0: baylor wasn't really able to make them pay for it and that's not that's not sh- like stunning to me. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, again, draw similarities to a common opponent because that, I think that helps you predict what's going to happen best. I'm looking at, you know, TCU runs that four two five as you just mentioned. Iowa State, who, you know, Spencer looked fantastic against, but historically has struggled against a defense that runs a 3-3-5. When there's more bodies in the secondary, and this is not rocket science. This is extremely elementary. When there's more bodies in the secondary – That is more difficult for a quarterback to decipher. And so I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Spencer might match up well with that TCU defense in a way that Jerry Bohannon wasn't able to. Again, I wasn't blown away with Jerry Bohannon uh, and Gary, Jerry, I I don't know, whatever it might be. uh, I have not been blown away with him most of this season and wasn't in Stillwater wasn't this last weekend Um, makes good decisions with the football, but is uh, like a game manager's game manager. And so, as you just mentioned, Dustin, not being able to take the top off of that defense is crucial. And I think Spencer and Tay and really Brennan Presley might be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. It, it was
1: like TCU was daring Baylor to get into a shootout with them. Because they knew they had a good right. game plan on offense with Morris, and Baylor just wouldn't do it. They continued to run the ball on first down, and they continued to not gain the yards. Something else that that TCU likes to do is they slant their defensive line. So basically, the whole defensive line slants in this in a direction off the snap. They it works particularly well against zone running schemes because they'll slant towards the way the offensive line is going, which we know Oklahoma State is a zone running scheme. So I would expect to see some of that zone bluff play we've talked about where the Cowboy back comes across the form. The offensive line goes one bit way. Cowboy back blocks across to kind of trap that edge player on the, we, they call that a split zone. The Cowboy back will fake that block, wrap around to the first second level defender. Spencer will fake the handoff, pull it himself and follow that Cowboy back because TCU's defense will get moving. They are, they, all, they do have a propensity to move around when you have pre-stat motion, when you have split zone play. So I think we see a lot of split zone. I would love to see a lot of pre-stat motion like we saw from the Oklahoma State offense two years ago that worked really well. They kind of went away from it last year, and the offense kind of struggled at times. But I think we see, I think we see a lot of motion. I would expect to see a lot of motion. I think we could see a lot of wide receiver screens again. I think we see Sanders getting involved in the run game because you want to create that misdirection because I think there may not be as many cutback lanes open for Warren this game, just because TCU just got to go against Baylor, who has that wide zone zone running scheme. They've just practiced against it all week. They're going to go against Oklahoma state against it again. And even though I think Oklahoma state's offensive line will do a good job of run blocking, I think Dunn mixes in some of that quarterback run scheme some of that misdirection to kind of
0: catch TCU off guard. Well, and that tends to be when Oklahoma State's offense is at its, at its most explosive, right? When Spencer can run decide for himself, but really I mean when it when it's drawn up for him, defense is not expecting it. Um and the co- and the coach can see it from the box and calls that quarterback run. I mean, that's that's when Spencer tends to be at his best just in in my view. And when they do it early, I mean Mike Gundy mentioned this last week on his radio show that when they can get him going early in that quarterback run game, he tends to be the most comfortable that he's going to be. So I, you know, after talking about the offense, I feel a lot better. I worry about, again, just the unexpected. And I guess that's what happens when you're eight and one, you got everything in front of you as a fan. I I, players, obviously don't worry about this crap as a fan though. You sit here thinking about what's the unexpected. You don't know what you have in Chandler Morris, but you know exactly what you've got at Oklahoma state. So.
1: Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think kind of the last thing on the defense is we talked about guys like Dylan Horton, O'Shawn Mathis, Corey Bethley on their defensive front, their linebackers, D winners, but they're getting Noah Daniels back at quarterback, at cornerback, and he is a guy that will play in the NFL. And Gunny mentioned on his radio show, this co- we t- I talked about it a little bit, but their coverage scheme is confusing. There's a famous, I think it's Dana Holgerson quote, talking about you never know if they're in man or zone, like we talked about with that pattern match zone. And it, it is confusing, and Spencer is going to have to be on his game. We're going to need to see the same Spencer we've seen the past four games because they're going to throw some different looks out there. Noah Daniels is going to be able to play really well in coverage, so Spencer might have to go off of his first read at times. He may have to look off Tay and go to somebody else. You may have to try to get the Green Bros. You may have to get Bray involved, other guys like that, Uh, obviously Brennan Presley. So we'll we'll see, but I think think the main thing Spencer is going to have to do, and I think TCU is going to come – I think they're going to come out with a similar game plan to Baylor – and dare OSU to beat him over the top deep because Spencer yeah. hasn't, they haven't been taking a ton of deep shots recently. And I think they're going to dare him to beat them deep on first down. And I'd love to see Spencer do it because I, I have confidence in his deep ball. I know he's been shaking on it at times, but I think he can get it
0: down there. And I'd love to see Dunn take some deep shots on early downs. Well, and that's why I bring up Brennan Presley, you know, Tay Martin, I think he's a deep threat, but we haven't seen a ton of it. Really, no vertical shots down the field. I know they tried it that first play against Texas; didn't work out. I have we seen it since <laughs> with with yeah. Spencer and Tay. So I I looked at Brennan Presley because we we don't really expect that. I don't from Tay Martin. So where else could you potentially get that down the field? Uh, vertical passing production. I, I look at Brennan Presley, maybe a Bryson Green as well on the outside. Um, you know, just Bray, match, Bray, matching up. I mean, you can you compared him to Blackman, yeah, I, I sure did. Um, <laughs> and that was specifically about one play, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying Jaden Bray is Justin Blackman. I am saying though, he gives me those vibes. So I, I think uh, I think you can take some shots down the field to Bray though, too. I, I think, I think this defense leaves you susceptible. I, again, I think back they're running that same scheme. Uh, they've been vulnerable to it against Oklahoma state in, in past years. And I looked back again, you know, it, it can be dangerous to do this, but I looked back this previous week against what Oklahoma state did defensively, you know, against West Virginia last year, they were able to kind of carry the same thing over, even offensively, they did the same thing. And, you know, I, again, I like to look back historically, if coaching remains the same scheme, remains the same, you can look back and pull out some, some commonalities. And and I like what Oklahoma state should be able to do offensively. So. Yeah. I think, I think that's all I had on TCU. Well, it can't be all you had cuz what's your gut feeling? What's your prediction? Where do you see this uh, score ending up? It's a huge game. So what is the what's the spread at now? 13 and a half feels massive to me, but I'm gonna, I'm going to go 38-24 Oklahoma State. So way more high scoring than we've seen this year yeah. for sure.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Cowboys hit on some big plays on those deep balls that I was talking about, and I think for maybe the first time all season they get some Whew. short one two play drives. <laughs> I like that. I like that a I, lot. I'm just I, I feel like my predictions I've tr- I've gone pretty conservative, close to the spread, close to the <laughs> over underline. I, I want and I guess this one's close to the spread as well, but I want to go with a little bit more. high. Uh, you're you're a riverboat state.
0: gambler for sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know. I, I expressed some concern early on, and um, I, I don't think Oklahoma State covers. I'll say that. I, I think the situation, TCU is probably feeling pretty good about themselves. We haven't even mentioned Jerry Kill, Mike Gundy going against each other. You know, Mike Gundy played under Jerry Kill at Midwest City. Crazy story. Pretty awesome there. <laughs> um, biology teacher. His biology. Could you imagine <laughs> coaching like for your job against your old? Biology teacher. I don't even know what my old biology teacher is doing anymore. (laughs) It would be unbelievable. My point that to that though, is like, I, I think this situation puts TCU in a, in a position to probably cover. Um, I don't think TCU wins. I think Oklahoma state's going to win 30 to 17. I love that. You're thinking high scoring. I hope that's the case because if it's high scoring, I trust Oklahoma state more to come up with more stops. So, If it is that, then I think this ends up being an Oklahoma state win, probably by a wide margin. They probably do cover, but if it's a lower scoring game, which I do expect it to be. And again, I'm going to go 30 to 17. Um, Again, I I, I don't know how much I believe in Chandler Morris, but he scares me just enough to think that this game's close in the fourth quarter and Oklahoma state ultimately pulls away. No, I think that I, I like that score prediction as well. Mine's probably extremely wrong, but, well, we, don't, we won't know that till Saturday, but we'll definitely <laughs> talk about it after. Uh, Dustin, before we get to uh, questions, any final thoughts on TCU, West Virginia, anything we talked about? No, I think I'm ready. Okay, well, let's move to questions. Obviously, before that, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. So use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol is offering a very special giveaway to the 1012 Network and our podcast, Feels Like 45, Symbol is going to hold a drawing to give away two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice. And all you've got to do is sign up for Symbol and make a $25 deposit using promo code FEELS12 and you will be entered into a chance to win two tickets to your favorite team's game this season. Visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, you better make sure to use that promo code FEELS12 And for a chance to win two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice, visit www.symbol.com, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com, and use the promo code FEELS12 and start investing in your favorite teams. All right. Welcome back. We are at maybe my favorite part of the podcast. Dustin, I don't know about you uh, the portion of the show where we hear from you, our valued listener, uh, what you want us to answer, which I don't know why in the world you'd want us to talk about what you want us to talk about, but it's fantastic. We're here. We're here to answer your questions. I love that we can do this. And, uh, Dustin, I I say we just jump right on into it. Don't you? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Here's one, uh, from my buddy, Jake Meyer, actually a previous caller on the show. We're going to hear what he has to say. most unfortunate and most important piece of the podcast last week was saying that there was not a lot going on with OSU basketball. And then 12 hours later, NCAA denies our appeal. We have Boynton going scorched earth on the NCAA. Lots to go off of. My question is, is there any silver lining that can come out of this? I tend to think that now we can actually tell recruits this is what's going to happen. This is our postseason band. is how many scholarships we can't have for the next three years. So I tend to think that now the clock has started and we could have something good come out of it. But what do you guys think? Jake, it's a fantastic question, and you nudge us right into the direction of Cowboy basketball, which we've got another question in that same vein. We'll talk about that here in a little while. Dustin, I don't know about you. I've I've actually thought a lot about this, and and, and even previously before Jake's call. You know, there's been we haven't even talked about the postseason ban on this podcast, which is absolutely outrageous. I know we'll get into it in this in this Q and A portion of the show, Um, but uh, without talking about what the penalty itself is and how egregious that is, there is a big part of me that's ready to move on from it. Um, you know, there's a a call to go ahead and, you know, let's take them to court. I even shoot. I I tweeted it. It's like, let's sue them into oblivion. And you step back and you think about it. And it's like, all right, from now until the end of a postseason ban, you're talking about six months, right? Uh, Five months, not even six months, five months of paying for a program to just get back on track. Right. I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, I feel like you go ahead and serve that postseason ban. You, you take the penalty. You don't be quiet about it, but you take the penalty. And you get ahead and start recruiting for 2022, which we've already talked about. There's a big guy out there, a big fish out there to catch, an Anthony Black, who you might be able to get because now this is not hanging over your head. And if you were to take it to court, if you were to take it any further, that could potentially backfire on you. Uh, down the recruiting trail if it were to drag out for several years so that's the way I see it serve your punishment get it done with
1: yeah like like Jake mentioned in his question I've been mad about it now for a week and now I'm to the point where I think I'm on the same page as you now at least we have a verdict to be able to tell these recruits hey it's it's done it's over with now we have, now we can be in the postseason again. You know, there's no reason for you to be worried about coming here and having some band going on. But the thing that sucks, and I know this wasn't really the question cause he was asking more about silver lining, but I just keep thinking about all these guys, just losing yeah. that year. Yeah. The guys that transferred in, and I know they'll have more years to play, but not everyone does on the team. And it just, that, that's the one thing I just keep coming back to, but I do think, If there is one silver lining, it's the fact that Boynton can get with these recruits now and say, hey, look, it's done. It's over with. No reason you should be worried about any postseason ban in the future, any more penalties or anything like that. Come here. We're we're right back on track. They're going to have a great season this year, even though they can't go to the postseason. So let's just kind of, you know, move things along and get this going.
0: Well, and, and you, you kind of nailed it. I, I, agree with you. The fact that Isaac likely in his senior year is not even going to have an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament or play for a spot is a travesty. Avery Anderson came back for that reason. You know, transfers came in probably for that reason. Also knowing that there might've been a risk associated, but surely not going to sway a, a big decision like that. If you got a relationship with a coach and a program, you follow your gut on something like that as a recruit, but Um, it it is a travesty and and we haven't gotten into it, but um, you know, just the fact that those guys won't be able to play for, for that achievement, which really, I mean, is, is the ultimate achievement in in college basketball anymore um, is, is devastating. And, you know, I I don't look at the postseason ban as, as devastating as I do the scholarship production, you know, that's, that's three scholarships over three years. Um, that you you can't allocate. Um, you could take that all in one, um, but I mean, effectively, Oklahoma State got. I'm about to get on a soapbox here. I can feel it. <laughs> effectively, <laughs> it. Oklahoma State got a a postseason ban, three scholarship reductions, probation, fines for a $300 uh, gift, even if you will, to a player, not a recruit, a player who was on the roster at the time and 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 everything I'm about to say is has been out there, but I got to get it out there to punish these kids who were not driving at the time, didn't even really probably know how to use the locker on the front of their locker in in middle school like <laughs> I had to be shown that I know right it's confusing as all get out, but still, <laughs> the fact that they didn't like this was not their uh cross to bear so to speak this was not their sin this was one rogue coach under mind you a previous head coach not even mike boynton so this whole program is basically serving and paying the price for the uh egregiousness of a previous coach it doesn't make any sense to me um and the fact that the ncaa is going through a constitutional convention right right now as we speak, the entire NCAA process is being redefined. You can go read about it. It's out there. It happened this morning. Um, it's frankly several years too late uh, because they've been putting young kids, young athletes who they claim to care about through this for, I mean, decades, absolutely decades of just nonsense. And so to, to sit here and claim that the NCAA is here to uplift and motivate and um change the lives of student athletes is absolutely bogus. And it makes me want to cuss, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it, <laughs> Dustin. And if you if you get kade to the point where he's gonna cuss on a podcast, you've <laughs> pushed him too far. <laughs> just by one question. You just got me going, Jake. <laughs> do you want to uh do you want to play the other one related I, to it I, and I keep going a little bit longer? I think we get, I think it's a great segue, Dustin. Right right into this one here. Hey guys, David McKelps here, long-term fan and listener. And by long-term fan, I've been a long-term fan of Goose since about 2009 and a long-term oh, listener to all five of your current episodes. I'm hopeful this week is another great breakdown of West Virginia and look ahead at TCU, but also hoping there's a lot of hoops talk based on the joke that we know
1: is the NCAA. Everybody thought the appeal was a layup based on the facts and comparable cases. My question is, does OSU have any legal steps from here? I'm hoping some heavy hitters and a massive lawsuit but not sure if that is a reasonable assumption uh if not osu did destroy the bcs in 2011 so how can we average fans to help us uh, cancel the ncaa a decade later thanks for do.
0: <laughs> david thanks hey. for the question man i, I yeah. didn't shout out your name david appreciate the question
1: that's my yeah that's my buddy david uh guy went to school with at osu uh lived Lived in Houston when I was there. He's still there. So uh, great guy. Thanks, David, so much for sending that in. Cade, I'm going to let you take this one because you know a lot more about this part, I think, than me. So I'll let you start this one off. Well, again,
0: I, I, I kind of mentioned it just a moment ago, and, and it's, it's funny to have two questions. Similar but not the same question at all. I, Oklahoma State does have legal, legal action. You can absolutely sue the NCAA and get an injunction. I don't know what the case would be, for for Oklahoma State to win that but all you do by doing that is delay the possibility of a postseason ban so you could go sue the NCAA and again I tweeted that they should (laughs) yeah so if they if they sued them would it delay the ban like would
1: we be able to go to the postseason this year it would be on a delay again
0: is that what you're saying and I I am not a lawyer so I cannot be held liable for anything I'm about to say (laughs) but We've seen this before in NCAA cases. You can sue the NCAA for an injunction on penalties assessed. I believe that's the case. You could ask the NCAA or you could ask the Supreme court. I mean, shoot, you could take it all the way up there and say, this is unjust here are the facts. And you could point as David just asked, you could point to other cases that were tried in, in similar infractions and, basically penalties assessed in a different manner so the south carolina and oklahoma state deal would almost be an open and shut example of that where south carolina the same assistant coach commits the same infraction there doesn't get a postseason ban why because they said the fact that lamont evans cooperated wasn't an aggrieving factor but for oklahoma state lamont evans did not cooperate in the investigation therefore It's an aggrieving factor. I don't know if you can get an injunction. I do know though, I I don't know if you can win an injunction. I know you can sue the NCAA and appeal for an injunction and a postponement of penalties. I do know you can do that. So to answer David's last part of the question, I think you just
1: go to the games with your NCAA sucks flags, cancel the NCAA hold that up in the student section. And that's how, that's how we as a unit cancel them, at least in our minds.
0: Well, and again, it it feels um, probably not worthwhile to me. Um, I I think you could end up, and again, this does a lot of damage to the program. I mean, Mike Boynton had brought it from, you know, a 15 year lull. So this in itself does damage to the program, but by delaying even further, I mean, we're five years removed from this, Dustin, with, with this uh, NCAA FBI investigation. We're five years away from this. Do you want to really push this down the road even further? I, you know, as I've, as I've slept on this for, for several nights, my, my gut says no. I, I don't want to push it down the road any further. And again, I'm no attorney. I don't know specifically the legal recourse that Oklahoma State has. Um, but I don't know if you want to take any, frankly. Yeah, no, those are all good
1: points. Those are all solid points. I, I honestly don't have anything to add because you've covered that extremely well.
0: well it's, so. it's devastating. And, uh, as a, as a first time season ticket holder for Oklahoma state basketball and only first time, cause I haven't lived here. Uh, that's, that's just kind of the deal. It's devastating for me. Like I was fired way up. To be, you know, part of a what what still could be a special season. They can still go win the damn Big Twelve, and I hope they do. And frankly, it would appear that they it's lit a fire into the program with an eighty eight to forty three win over UT Arlington this evening as we recorded. Um, so I'll be interested to see how the program responds. Um, but again, I don't think they respond in the way of a lawsuit. And frankly, I don't know if that's the the you know, in the best interest of the future of the program, take your lumps, get, get four months down the road and start recruiting for 2022. And it absolutely sucks for the guys on the roster right now. So, okay.
1: I, I'm not a season ticket holder, but because you're a season ticket holder and I you expect you theory, to take me yeah. to a lot of games, I'm also devastated.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate that you're devastated as well. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, let's, uh, let's go ahead and hear from, from our buddy, Alex Fuller. Hello, it's me again, coming live from my backyard. (laughs) I have two questions. I bet it's nice. First is is. you now love this defense more than your firstborn and only kid, or will it take a little bit more time, a couple more games? And the second is who's your biggest surprise on defense this year? I was really high on the defensive line coming into the season. Thought it was going to be Gundy's best. So, surprises for me. Devin Harper, absolutely amazing this year, and the strongest cornerback I've ever seen in college football history. Christian Holmes. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that is a bold uh, assertion, there, Fuller. Strongest cornerback love- in college football. I love that he asks us the question and then takes two of the people away. Yeah, right. Like with his like, answer. I was wondering how many he was going to say. I try not to listen to these before the podcast because I, I want to answer them. Honestly, don't want to think about them. I was like, how, how many names are you going to say? He just lists all like 11 starters. Yeah. Brock Martin, <laughs> uh, Jason Taylor. I love Colby Harbaugh Peel. Dustin, who, who would you go with? So I'm not gonna
1: take I know what yours is. So I'm not gonna take oh him. do you or oh, I'm pretty sure I know who's yours yours is. You I know you love him. Yeah. But I wanna I wanna say Evers, but I'm gonna let you take him. Yeah. You can talk about him. But I think Full, Fuller knows that I love Devin Harper as well. And also big Christian Holmes fan. So those are two, I love both of those that he picked, but I think I'm gonna go with Jason Taylor. I I just the the what his ability to make plays, he's a great tackler. He's great in the run fits. He does well in coverage. I just I never expected to be this kind of player, I don't think, when he got onto campus. And he's just been I I know he's talked about a lot in the games where he makes plays in the secondary, where he gets the interception, gets the turnover. But I think in the games where he doesn't, he's kind of one of those guys that gets overshadowed by the guys like Harper Rodriguez that we've been talking about, Colin Oliver, Brock Martin, especially Colby Harvell, peel also being another safety. I think Jason Taylor has just been awesome this season, and I think he's been awesome for a while. Uh,
0: Dustin, I, if, it, if it wasn't Brendan Evers for me, it would be Jason Taylor. I mean, we know the Brock Martins. Even I think we knew a little bit more about Colin Oliver. We We expected him to show up. Shoot. He works out at my gym. See him all the time. He's, he's huge. Uh, so <laughs> I knew what we were getting there. Um, but for me, I mean, Brendan Evers, you, you nailed it. He's, he's got to be the one for me because I, again, three-star recruit out of Bixby. I mean, I three might've been generous. He might've been a two-star unranked recruit out of Bixby. Dude's a freak dude pushes dudes around and they can interchange, you know, with Sony Ossie, uh Israel Antoine, Brendan Evers, just having that interior presence um and him really kind of leading the charge there has been fantastic. And uh to me, Brendan Evers would be that guy. And since you you took Jason Taylor as your one, I'm gonna take him as my two. Uh when Trey Sterling went out for the year, I was extremely concerned. I'm not gonna lie, not because I didn't trust that jason taylor knew what he was doing we'd seen flashes i mean we've seen pick sixes before we've seen uh we've seen onside kick returns for touchdowns with him we didn't know exactly we were going to get in coverage and so i thought that would be a huge loss and it hasn't been at all and so uh yeah i think your your pick in jason taylor is perfect and fuller you didn't leave us a whole lot to pick from so appreciate that but thanks fuller for sending that in All right, uh, moving on to our final question of the evening. Actually, we've got a couple more on Twitter. Uh, Our final voice question of the evening, we've got Lou Pineda uh, coming up here. Hey, guys, Big Lou here. So this defense is giving me serious, like, WWE, like, wrestler, just beat you up vibes. And I want to know, for the following dudes, what is their, their, like, WWE-style walk-up song? For Boynton, for Gundy, for Jim Knowles, for Malcolm Rodriguez, whoever you want. What are some good walk-up songs uh, for, for our, our cowboys and cowgirls? I'll take my answer off the air. Lou, it's a, a great question, my man. I think sticking with the defense though, I can't, I can't answer for Boynton, Gundy, John Smith. I can't answer all that, but sticking with the defense, this will be fun. I it's it's obvious to me. It's welcome to the jungle. <laughs> i like that you're stepping into it with this defense you know what i mean i think i like i like
1: welcome to the jungle i was almost thinking like a drowning pool bodies oh well yeah that
0: i mean but now we're going down we're no we're just going down fifth grade uh get hyped up in the locker room (laughs) playlist is what we're doing (laughs) or uh or cowboys forever yeah you know i do love this maybe we can get the rights to that we've needed some intro music do you think we could we could open the pod with some Cowboys forever. I actually have a weird connection to that guys, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that off air for sure. Uh, (laughs) See if see what we can do. Uh, Lou appreciate the question, brother. Uh, And thank you for continuing uh, to show your vested interest in the podcast. We love it. And as always, you can send voice questions in via anchor our hosting platform. We drop it. Uh, now, thanks to Dustin, this week we're we're a little bit earlier than six thirty on Tuesdays. We'll give you much more notice uh, to to send in questions. And right now, uh, if I could get it pulled up, we've got some Twitter questions here. Yeah, Kid, do you want me?
1: To, I, I can just kind of if you want me just to group them together, I can shout out some of these people, and then we can just kind of group them together because they're all kind of of the same vein. Absolutely. So we've got M. That's at Camaro One, Aaron Younts a yount 15 we got our helmy um we've got ryan ostrander brian metcalf brian holy, holy cow shout questions. out to the
0: listeners okay yeah. shout out to the
1: <laughs> listeners we really appreciate this guys we got tyler wheat as well basically and and tyler had a little bit of a different question added on but he had a second question that kind of ties in basically everybody's kind of asking about osu's paths forward conference championship game college football playoff apologies guys for not reading all these but just because we've been kind of going for a little while now just kind of wanted to group these together but really appreciate all these they're basically asking what what are the chances of the conference championship game do we think will that osu will get there any chance of the playoff remaining
0: just kind of what are what are your thoughts there oh this is fantastic number one i want to take a second and thank all those people just hearing you list off all those names dustin was like uh, music to my soul. Uh, I, I, love the engagement that that's kind of, I mean, for me, that's why I do it. I love bringing something that, uh, resonates, but I, I, don't know that that was just awesome to hear all those names asking these questions on Twitter. So to me, the path forward is simple. Uh, when, and you're in, um, I, I don't see any scenario where a 12 and one Oklahoma state Again, with two wins over probably Oklahoma is left out of the college football playoff. you look at that Big Ten, it's what a lot of people are talking about. Uh, That's going to take care of itself. We talked about this on the pod. Uh, Michigan State, after losing uh, by double digits at Purdue, the powerhouse Purdue is sitting at a pretty number seven, which is three spots ahead of Oklahoma State, uh, whose only loss is at Iowa State. And so you look at that and you're like, the hell is that all about and then you look at what's going to happen in the big 10 this weekend when michigan state plays ohio state one of those teams is going to be out of this conversation and it's going to continue to be that way michigan or ohio state's going to get knocked out of that conversation cincinnati's not getting in um and then oklahoma state and oklahoma are going to settle that so um it's unfortunate that it might take two wins basically doubling mike gundy's win total against uh, Oklahoma in his entire career in one season it's unfortunate that I might take that but I don't know of a better year to just go ahead and take that swing at him so I say win and you're in and hope chaos ensues and you don't get Oklahoma twice and really if Oklahoma State
1: beats TCU and Tech going into that first bedlam game it, win and you're in obviously take control your own destiny but the I feel pretty confident that if they lose that first game to Oklahoma, they still at least get in the big 12 championship game. Obviously that throws away their playoff chances, but going back to just the conference championship game talks, it seems pretty likely if they can just win these next two, that there's a really good shot. They're going to be in again. And obviously yeah. probably playing Oklahoma again. The only thing I struggle with obviously is having to play. I think it's a realistic shot. I think they do have a chance just having to play Oklahoma twice. It's just, it's tough for me. Um, I hate that game. Yeah. I hate, I hate that team
0: and I don't want to watch it twice. No. Unless <laughs> <In laughs> so I was guaranteed we are going to win both times. In two weekends back to back. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, from an Oklahoma fans perspective, I'm sure that's, that's no big deal, but from mine and yours perspective, I know what that game does to me once a calendar year, once in, in seven days or twice in seven days would be a lot for me. So I don't know if I have the energy. I, I don't know if I have the um the capacity in my blood vessels uh to to not <laughs> burst for a second bedlam matchup. But again, you gotta win, you gotta take care of business against TCU and tech. Um again, I, I look back to the historics of of Oklahoma State's football seasons, and um this is where it kind of goes south. Um, but I don't feel that this year. I truly don't. And so again. A big thank you to all the people that sent in we, those questions. And we did actually, Cade. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh Ostrander's no, ca- question was
1: actually the only one that didn't mention something about conference championship game or you know, OUI oh, State sure. playing or playoff. He was actually asking, and probably a good topic to mention on the pod. He's kind of asking about the ratio of black, orange, he <laughs> even mentioned to camo going into the blackout. Do you think do you think it'll be a solid blackout? I feel like I feel like it, it normally works out okay when they try to do something like that, but it's never
0: obviously a full yeah. Full of the same and we're color. talking about the fans, like we're talking about how many people yeah. in the in the stadium. Yeah, you know, there's some gonna be somebody, and they're wearing all white. Like it, it's gonna look good, and it's gonna look good because it's a night game. Um, I I think Oklahoma State football actually put out a graphic, like a like a rendering of what it would look like. And I'm pumped to see it. We've never done a, a blackout that I can remember uh, in in Stillwater. The real the real question that I have, Dustin, is: Do you think they're going to break out anything special in terms of uniforms? I think I think they will. Even
1: if it's just the helmet, I think something will be something will be new, something will be throwback,
0: something will be cool. What about you? Uh, here, I've got a I've got a bold prediction. Might not happen, but I feel good about it. I don't know if you saw Iowa's blackout uniform several years ago. The inside of their numbers, they were, they were all black all the time. The inside of the numbers was also black and it was trimmed in yellow. Um, if Oklahoma State's going to go full black out, I would love to see a black jersey with black numbers with an orange trim because I think orange, you can do that. I think it pops enough. You could potentially get away with that. And maybe some black uh, fill in the OSU brand with some orange trim. That would be my hope. That would be I, my wild. prediction. It would be wild. Uh, and maybe somebody's listening, but my prediction is that they roll out in just the normal all blacks. I know everybody's talking throwback, I know everybody's talking, you know, maybe a military tribute. I bet they just roll out in their typical all blacks. Nothing, that's my, that's nothing my even different on the helmet. No,
1: I don't see no, it. But what about a what about the Heisman trophy from when Barry Sanders won
0: it as the logo? As the logo? Oh my gosh, or just Barry be... Sanders' face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or doesn't he have a car dealership out out uh west just of the town? brand uh, yeah, yeah. standard super center just that yeah. on the helmet <laughs> that's what i'm thinking i that think actually might look kind of cool it's like is that going to be on a statue or anything i don't know um the statue is going to be cool though i i know you said you'll be there
1: i'm uh, i will i'm gonna i'm gonna make it up there for just a quick just a quick little game and back
0: Okay, well, no, I okay. hope I hope to see you uh, in the concourse, my good friend, because uh, I wasn't going to ask. I thought it might have been a sore subject. <laughs> yeah, just be a quick up and just be a quick there and back. Yeah, well, that's we, what I, that's we what we I told. That's what I told the wife. quick there and back. Just hey, quick. my my wife's birth is this weekend, and it's Sunday. And when I said, "Well, your birthday is not Saturday," <laughs> that was a fun conversation. And uh, so I will too be in Stillwater. So I hope to see you there, my friend. Uh, Dustin, a great episode. This is always a blast and uh, a ton to talk about, ton to get to next week and just hope the Cowboys can uh, keep it moving forward. Any final thoughts before we let our people go? Oh, I think uh
1: I think just expect, you know, as football season's winding down, Cade and I, if you follow our Twitter, we've been we've been watching the basketball game, sending out video from there, and we'll do, we'll probably turn the focus pretty much completely over to basketball. So if you're into if you're into Oklahoma State basketball, be sure to stick here. Kate is super knowledgeable in basketball. Um, I know how to work a video editor, so we'll be able to get some uh, some basketball clips like we've been doing for football. So
0: Yeah, well, if you got somebody who knows a little bit about hoops and a video editor, you basically got a podcast <laughs> right there. So, no, I'm pumped. I mean, I've said it before. Oklahoma State basketball was my first love, and uh, it's back. And even with the postseason ban – I was watching this evening just fired up uh, that, that basketball's back. So, uh, Dustin, great show. Great to talk to you, man. Uh, I mean, it's late. We go. you got to go. You got mouths to feed. I got to get to bed. I got a job tomorrow. So we will see you next week, hopefully after a huge win against TCU. We'll talk to you then. Go Pokes.